Mist. This is Tracing Places, a short podcast series and also an audiovisual project. The Tracing Places series involves four artists making four videos for four songs off my new album. I've been working with these amazing artists in an unusual way. The artists were given full creative control over their art and they were to make music videos based purely on their perception. Basically, how it worked was I would send the artist the song and the lyrics, and that was it. I would offer no further directives or instructions. I would see the finished music video when it's done. Simple as that. So simple that it allows for some beautiful complexity. Thank you to the Arts Council for funding this project, whose support made this project a reality. So there's four instalments to this podcast. Each one will essentially be a discussion with the artist about the work created, their process, their ideas behind the video, and their interpretation of the song. We'll also discuss my ideas behind the song and really try and tease out the intersection, if any, between us. There might not be, and that's cool too. It's all to play for. This is the first time our concepts are going to meet. We're going to communicate them here now with each other, out in the open. You're essentially eavesdropping on us, which must be a very alluring position to be in. What we're doing here is emphasising individual perception, placing it on a platform and celebrating it. Given this, you should go and experience the video and have your own thoughts before listening to this podcast. Otherwise, it will just be you listening to us discuss something that you haven't experienced yet. It'll be way more fun if you come to this with your own ideas and your own reactions and result in a lot more brain tickles when you hear how your ideas interact with ours. If you participate like this, it'll be great. And the lovely cycle of perception will continue. So look up Trick Mist Flag Bearer before you dive in. So now what we're going to have is an initial artwork and a reactionary artwork. It's going to be class to see what people come up with. I'm so, so interested to see will they pick up on things that I was trashing out? Will they ignore them? Will they react against them? Will they expand on them? We just don't know. But we're going to find out. Maybe it will gauge if something is felt on a more collective level. Now, Let's have our chat with the second artist, Bob Gallagher. And, unexpectedly, another artist who Bob worked with, Vala Kjarval. Bob Gallagher is an Irish visual artist, award-winning filmmaker, analogue photographer and singer. Described by Totally Dublin as one of the nation's premier creative forces in the visual arts, He is renowned for award-winning music videos he has created for numerous Irish artists, including Lancome, Villagers, Gilliband and Junior Brother. 
Vala Kjarval is an Icelandic American artist operating in the fields of photography and videography. Vala's background is in galleries, art theory, photo labs, fine art photography, and cinema. Through portraiture, she explores the complicated relationship between identity and place. Her fine art photography has been featured on numerous online publications and exhibited both nationally and internationally. It's so nice to have you here, Unreal, on the podcast. Yeah, this is this is quite uh, this is quite this is quite surreal. Well, we were strangers before this. Yeah, so we're meeting up in person, which is amazing. Had to fly Valis especially in from Iceland. Yeah, I, he hit me in a crate. <laughs> was uh, it from Iceland you came or from New York? Yeah, from from Iceland. Yeah, it was only two hours. Okay. So it, it was quite lovely. Fantastic. Yeah. So we have Vala Kjarval and Bob Gallagher. That's <laughs> us. We are going to dig deep uh, big time. I've been looking forward to this for a long time just to actually air some thoughts. And it's kind of like the way I'm viewing it, it's like where, when both of our ideas can kind of meet you know what I mean in the open because um, you made it in isolation I made it in isolation and now we're here to to just discuss those ideas individually and then see what the similarities are and the differences so I just wanted to ask you Bob first of all right what was what was it like just receiving the song and having the project set up that way like the fact that you were given like complete creative control I assume you've, you've experienced that before, but I'm just, just really curious to know, like, how, how did that feel? Um, was it, was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? Was it, you know, freeing or was it kind of, was there a bit of a weight to it or how did you find that? Um, I'm a control freak, so I love it. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like, I much prefer to get just the music and kind of take the cue from that. Mm. I like. I mean, even on other projects, like I generally don't get involved in asking people what things mean or what references, you know, particular lyrics reference. Um, and the weird thing is, I find a lot of the time when you don't ask for specific details and you're sort of just left to try and interpret that through the music and through the lyrics, you sort of end up arriving at something that's maybe not exactly not exactly the same subject or not exactly the same theme but has some sort of parallel to mm. it like you pick up on yeah, just like mood things like yeah right okay is it sad or is it you know joyous is it whatever and you're sort of navigating like how the song makes you feel or what it sort of brings out in you and i just kind of find that often there is a parallel there or there's some sort of overlap and then i mean we'll see what you I mean, no, there's definitely, there's the definitely an overlap that's for sure like many many overlaps it's multi-layered the amount of overlaps there is and I think that's what's so kind of fascinating about it but yeah I'm a big believer in just letting people do their thing as well I think that you get the, the best results and uh, I suppose the project was just trying to shine a light on that and shine a light on uh, individual kind of perception you know what I mean this, this is the uh, the lead track from my new record so it was kind of I'll speak more about the, the album um, as a whole kind of work in a while but like basically overall it was very sort of introspective so then handing that over to someone to make something you know on their own as well is like a nice kind of uh, parallel you know that's what I felt anyway 
and it's kind of it's kind of just testing what um, what's going to happen a song when you put it out there anyway. People come up with their own ideas and have their own responses, so it's like a lovely kind of microcosm for that, and it kind of amplifies that thing that's going to happen at some point anyway. Just actually, when I sent you the song, what did you think of the song? You uh, don't 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 worry about uh, upsetting me here now. You can go for it if you want. But, uh, um, I'm trying to think like what my first impressions of the song. I really liked your voice. There's a certain kind of weight to it, but I also liked hearing the accent as well. You think the accent's present in it, yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. As in, I don't know. It was a because we'd never met. Mm. Sort of. That's how I imagine you talk. All right. You know? Okay. So that's the, nice. There was something kind of conversational in the sort of delivery of that. That's probably the first thing that jumped out to me. And for that reason, because it's not, it doesn't feel like it's overly sort of performed. Like it sort of feels like you're, you know, there's a, there's a certain kind of intimacy to it or something. Yeah. Um, so that jumped out. Um, also like interesting blend of sort of something that felt sort of mechanical. Like there's this, I don't know what the effect is, but there's some sort of looping. Oh yeah. That's a, a printer, just like really? a sample of a, just a household printer. Have you ever heard that? Um, what's it called? There's a guy did a symphony for dot matrix printers. No. Yeah, I forget what he's called, but um, a guy basically rigged up dot matrix printers and timed them and wrote like a symphony oh, wow. for it. But it's just mad sound because it's just like a cool. hundred printers going at different times. Link, link um, in the description. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but something about that kind of caught my ear. I was like, oh, some sort of interesting blend of like something very mechanical, but then something um, like the voice and the guitar kind of more humane, or there's more kind of feeling in that. Like yeah. It's like an interesting kind of juxtaposition. Okay. Um, those are the, and then I kind of, you know, sometimes you listen to something and you like, a lyric or a line jumps out and you sort of hear you don't sort of hear it all as one whole at first. You sort of listen out and you hear a little a word here or there that yeah. jump out to you. And the cracks in the ceiling was the one that was that was the line that I or that jumped out to me the most at first. Oh, the what was it? The coving on the ceiling, is it? Oh, coving in the ceiling. Cracks in the. I'm just trying to think now. I can't remember my own lyrics. <laughs> Where there is cracks. Does the, I think that line repeats, and I think the second time does it say cracks? Shows. Maybe I heard cracks in the ceiling. That's funny. There you go. Even funkier. Mm, so, it was a visual. You. Yeah. Felt. It was some and yeah, that was. Yeah, something about that idea of just like looking up at the ceiling was the first. Yeah. Image that into my head from it that's interesting yeah because I, I suppose it can go either way you can pick up on like one or two small things and sort of amplify them or not amplify them but they might just be a, like a stimulus like a, a line or something like that but um, yeah that's interesting and the thing that you know I was trying to cope with ideas that came out of that was a memory I had of being in um, 
my aunt's house, my godmother's house in Donegal um, after she died and just like lying sort of catatonically on a bed you know in the middle of the day just looking up at the ceiling and maybe that's why I'm confusing cracks because you know just looking at like the ceiling kind of like Jesus doesn't look great <laughs> yeah that's funny you say that because that's that's literally it that's like the same experience as a child looking at the ceiling just like you know that like lovely feeling of boredom you know I can't really remember the last time I was bored really it's kind of it's not a, it's not as much of a thing anymore sadly um, but I remember as a kid being like lovely like I'm bored you know what I mean I'm just like yeah. looking at the ceiling and it was that coving you know, it's that you know that coving stuff like it's like a what is that called again the um like like the ceiling equivalent of a skirting board cor- cornicing yeah is that it? yeah Ooh, something la like la. that yeah <laughs> Ooh, yeah. La, la. Ooh, la la yeah uh, you're counting all the water spots and all that <laughs> looking up at the yeah. ceiling yeah and just like looking around so that's there's a parallel there immediately because it made me think also of older people's houses yeah hmm. for some reason it's interesting or like you know old houses but I would associate that with like going to visit like yeah my aunt who I'm I'm not giving out about her interior decorating here <laughs> but just <laughs> a like a couple of cracks that, in like the ceiling that, like, there now cracks in the paint or sort of like yeah. water stains actually also remind me that there's a line in so Sufjan Stevens sounds like water stains riding the wall and oh, it's like you know really? such a dull uh, mundane detail yeah when you point it out it sort of has way more power than it should you know like yeah totally the on the ceiling yeah that's amazing and yeah that's another another um, box tick there somewhat because this the song like is set in my nan's house um, so I would have been like in that kind of visiting frame of mind as well so that's interesting that you uh, perceive that as well but um, I talk about the song specifically uh, in, a, in, a, in a wee bit but I kind of just want to hear more about your ideas behind how the whole thing sort of sprung up within you and your sort of process and obviously how Vala became involved so I had very little to go on at the beginning but I had this idea from that line about the ceiling and then I kind of made that connection to my aunt's house and then also that connection to the Sufjan Stevens water stain right in the wall lyric and that whole record was written about his mother dying and it was like sort of this record about the experience of loss or grief mm. um, and I was trying to figure out what to do with it and I was kind of going like well I don't really want to just I mean the first idea I had was you know some sort of articulation of me you know you know or like a kid just like being sort of confronted with the death in the family and that and I just was, I wasn't mad about the idea of doing something dramatised um, yeah. it was during like lockdown I was like oh Jesus I had the idea of getting like actors and kids and a funeral scene and like it just yeah 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 um also just seemed a little bit odd to try and construct a funeral I knew you at a time when you weren't allowed <laughs> to do funerals. You know, it yeah. just seemed like an odd way to go. I, I knew instinctively you wouldn't do that anyway, which um. was a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we were in Iceland in November, and so I was kind of like listening to the song, 
anyway just trying to figure out what to do with it or how to sort of articulate that idea that theme and then so Val and I had become friends in New York during the lockdown because I had moved over there and so mm. I was kind of stuck there for the first two months okay um, from March to May of whatever year the big dipper 2020 happened yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> so I was there and uh, Val kind of took me in um, and looked after me and oh. um, we, we looked actually, after each other we looked after each other yeah, yeah. it was mutual uh, <laughs> but yes and so Val is a photographer Okay. And so we, I mean, partially out of not having anything else to do, mm-hmm. started going out and taking photographs. We just, like, we walked up to Times Square and took, photograph of, took photographs of Times Square when it was completely empty. And mm. um, and then we set up a dark room and yeah. started processing mm-hmm. film. Okay. And um, then, so, I mean, I'll let, maybe you can sort of talk more about the Icelandic connection, but I'll just explain that when we were in... Reykjavik in um, I'm going to try and say Icelandic words and say them me all too. but sure look uh, don't look at me for an expert I don't know I'm not so we went in Reykjavik yeah Reykjavik everyone says Reykjavik and it's just like uh uh-uh, uh uh uh-uh, it's Reykjavik yeah, yeah. Um, in okay. November noted um, my friend Siobhan texted me and she was like if you're in Reykjavik if you're in Reykjavik yeah uh, you must go to Hotel Holt there's yeah. a beautiful room there that's full of paintings by Johannes Kerval. Okay. And I texted back and went, that's very funny because I'm actually here with Vala Kerval, who is his great-granddaughter. We're having a drink and casually, you know, and she's such a classy lady. And casually she's like, yeah. <laughs> it was very, it was a bit meta, eh? It was, yeah, strange coincidence. She had no idea. Like, it was kind of strange. A bit of a synchronicity. Yeah. Potentially. And then... So, I kind of said like, "Oh, well, we go look at the paintings," but I, yeah. like, you had some reservations about going in. Yes, I had reservations. I suppose like I've always heard that a lot of the, his work was at Hotel Halt, and there's a lot of resentment and strange things. But it, um, everyone was so lovely at Halt, and I think it was a better experience because the the artwork there had nothing to do with the government or Kjabestad. But um, it, it, it was the first time I ever stepping into the hotel myself. So it was, it was quite neat to have it, it be, I don't know, get purposeful. Because you would have spent a lot of time in Iceland yeah, as, before as, that, but never, had never gone Yeah, in. no, no, I had never been to Holt in all my times of going to, to Reykjavik to visit family. I had never been, but I've, I've heard so much from, you know, friends or fan friends my family would all have the similar sentiments about it but um, my friends would be like oh that's my favorite place to have lunch and it'd be uh, okay all right you know um but it it, it yeah it, it was quite funny um and even as like Shaban, she's quite a, quite a classy quite quite a classy lady and carol's really only known um to icelanders or, or some danes mm-hmm. um so it, it was interesting uh, coming from an an Irish Irish lass. So I had never. I mean, I don't. You heard of him through you. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. But you know, in Iceland, he's like Iceland's most famous painter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there was some of his work in this hotel, which is like just this amazing building full of like the hotel owners collected artwork. Mm. Yeah. And would have known him. Yeah, they're friends. They're yeah. friends. He was always there. 
Yeah. And so we went in late at night when there was no one there. It was quite interesting. It was with yeah, it was spooky. quite it was quite spooky and like it was it was strange because I had like this kind of medieval dark wood feeling. But at the same time it was quite cozy at the same time, mm. but like it it had the strangest atmosphere, but also it added it was it was almost a similar feeling of when we were in Times Square. We were like kids left left, you know, like the, you know, like when the cats away, the mice play. That mm. was a similar feeling. Because I don't think there yeah. were many guests, even in the hotel, because it was it was still kind of lockdown time. Yeah, you're right, because we went there in January. Uh, well, yeah. no, I'm talking about in November when we first went there. Uh, yeah, Remember, well, we went in at night. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. All right. It's all it's all blurring together. <laughs> and so so you go into the hotel, and there's a, the breakfast room, and the paintings are all around the breakfast room. Yeah. And so in the middle, of the, there's all these tables set for breakfast for the guests. And then there's like bowls of like cornflakes and stuff. It's quite strange because it's very much not like an art gallery. Yeah. It's yeah. actually, it is quite cozy and like even the sort of weird tartan carpet and everything. Yeah. It's just I very wasn't peculiar, anticipating like. that. I wasn't anticipating it feeling so cozy. I was really anticipating something feeling. Because like Reykjavik has this very like modern chic feeling now. I don't know. Uh, with a lot of these buildings trying to, you know, come off very, uh, how do I, how do I put it politely? I don't know, trying to come off quite expensive, you know, and like yeah. modern and like it was refreshingly um, old fashioned. I don't mm. know. I, I, I enjoyed that. But was there a moment though when like there was like a penny dropping and you're like, I'm going to use this as the as the video or I'm going to I'm going to burrow down this path and see what happens like because you're speaking there about like it, uh, you didn't want to build something um, What's the word you use? You didn't say a narrative, but like you didn't want to construct dramatic, dramatic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, what happened just after that then was there's a, there's a gallery in Reykjavik um, called I'm gonna try yeah, to Yeah, it. it's, it's, it's more of a museum <laughs> than a gallery, but yeah, that was where the penny <laughs> dropped per se when I was rolling around on the ground. And I... So we went in to um, this museum, which is like named after Carvel, yeah, and. Um, I didn't quite know what we were getting into, but Vala had the idea of doing self-portraits in there, sort of guerrilla style. And I said, like, well, let's just go in and suss it out and see mm. what we can get away with. And so um, she brought her medium format camera and then just started taking photographs rolling around the floor of the museum. And yeah. I, yeah, yeah, with a cable with a cable release. Unfortunately, the film didn't come out, but like, I, you know, it always has like really mixed feelings going in because all that artwork was taken um, in 1972 when he died and then in 1973 they erected the uh, the museum and there's a big uh, vault underneath the very modern looking uh, museum and it has everything down to his personal items all these oh, okay yeah you know, down to his underpants like it's really crazy right. all literally of his, like literally his mm. shoes everything and and it was really uh, heartbreaking um, for my family and it's just very odd and it's I don't know you just go in there it's very fancy and all this stuff and, and we were talking earlier about how artists are really the opposite of the bourgeoisie but it's kind of um, presented in that in that sense yeah but um, yeah I, I and it's strange to see all these strangers kind of go through and have you know their own subjective experience and like um, of course, he's like a like extreme, you know, he was like a savant, really. He was a crazy, talented um, painter. Um, and I, I suppose, like, taking the self portraits was a little bit of me making 
confronting it and maybe taking a little bit of making fun of the absurdity about the whole thing going through this museum of my, you know, a family member and it's presented in this very formal way and all these tourists are coming in and like, oh, you know, taking, looking at it very seriously. And, uh, and Bob was sort of my, um, point manner, I don't know, lookout. He was my lookout and I had this long cable release and I was like trying to take the, the piss out of it in the sense of mm. um, making it a little bit less formal and I was rolling on the ground with my cable release and there's there's iPhone footage have, of it. Yeah, yeah. photos and videos of my Yeah, we're doing it. But, but that was when the penny dropped for him. I think that it was maybe the contrast of like those feelings, eh? Or well, would you put it that way? Yeah, I mean, I just thought the idea was interesting of trying to reclaim yeah his work or not reclaim the work itself but reclaim a relationship with it because mm. you didn't want to go into the museum yeah no in, i didn't want yeah. to go into the museum i really didn't want to go into the museum and when we went there the final time it i was i was like i was so i don't know i was almost like in hysterics because i really didn't know how to represent my family and for the most part i was just sort of doing it um on my own accord and i didn't really tell my family much about what i was doing Mm. Um, but yeah, largely, and I think that in the lyrics of the song and the feeling of the song, it was much about, you know, reclaiming remnants of something, um, that's long gone and is probably still fading, you know? Mm. So that that was the sense I got of trying to, uh, grab on and collect these feelings of someone who's, you know, it's fading along, but at the same time is stuck in stone as this larger-than-life piece that is, you know, uses as a nationalistic icon to make Iceland seem fancy. Yeah. In reality, we're just a bunch of, like, you know, artists and, and farmers and, and fishermen, and it's uh, it's difficult. One feels extremely misunderstood, and, like, in the landscape of, of Icelandic culture, I don't know. It, it was really strange. I was walking to... Um, I'm living in Reykjavik now, and... I was walking to the grocery and I uh, turned over briefly and I saw a family member and I looked up and it was like they had um, Halder Laksnes who was like a, the one Icelander who um, won the Nobel Peace Prize. He was like a very um, prolific uh, author. And then it was Björk and then it was my grandfather said it said Laksnes, Björk and Kjarvel. And mm-hmm. I just, it, it, it was... It was just such an absurd representation, and it was accurate of Icelandic culture, but the idea of, like, Björk and Kjarvel being next to each other, I just felt so absurd, you know? Because mm. I think, yes, Björk is known, um, you know, uh, globally, and Kjarvel's really known national, nationally. And I'm sure older people know who Björk, are, Björk is, but, like, definitely every every older Icelander definitely knows who Kjarvel is. Like, yeah, surely yeah. know who Bjork is, but, you know, by large, every Icelander knows who Kjarvel is. Bjork wrote a song about Yeah, when him. she was 11. Yeah, on a flute piece. Or, well, a piece of music, yeah. Yeah, when she was 11. When yeah. she was 11? Yeah, when she wow. was 11, yeah. She was quite, quite prolific herself. So yeah. Sorry that, to cut you off. <laughs> that's kind of a testament to the um, influence, sort of, He's had culturally, you know, you've got a, a child writing a song about her. It's pre- it, it pretty goes pretty deep, like, you know. But I did get the sense that you viewed him as this sort of uh, almost oppressive kind of figure in a way, you know. And you were trying to demystify the whole thing. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's really perceptive. I think that, um, I think that when, I think that legends are put on this pedestal in this really, uh, in this way that people sort of dissociate in the way that they're, they were human, and it becomes almost like if you have a, a, a taste or something, um, in a certain artist's work, it becomes almost like comes part of your identity or something and it becomes also you put them up on so much of a pedestal and it yeah I, I resent I I still to this yeah like I quite resent that mm. um and like I think for the most part I spent my whole life you know kind of dealing with the aftermath of my father's anger um dealing with that so I know it was quite difficult for him growing up um living mm. in the order shadow of Kiarbal and even I, I've thought about um, changing my name since like you know spending more time in Reykjavik because people say oh you're Kiarbal and they kind of step back and their eyes go wide because I, I don't know I, I you know I, I want to be more, know, more known for, for myself and yeah. know, my bad personality or something like that <laughs> you know I don't know right. or, or my work watch but out like, for that one yeah yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. just yeah even like a moment that kind of sticks out to me from when we were driving around Iceland because mm. we were in the car and you were in the back seat reading like this big book about Carvel. Yeah, yeah. And there was a quote in it. I don't know, I don't know who wrote the quote. And he says, um, and this is Vala reading it. And yeah. she kind of goes like, uh, Carvel taught Icelanders how to see the landscape for the first time. And you just kind of went like, fuck off. Like, as <laughs> if like Icelanders didn't know how to look at rocks and mountains before yeah. this guy painted them. Yeah. And there was a bit of, I think, resentment towards them but I remember like the day we went when we went to the museum in yeah. November yeah. afterwards because um, I'd been listening to the song at the time yeah just that kind of hit me that idea that there's like you can experience loss for someone even if you've never met them you mm. know mm. and it's still there's a certain like traumatic element to that loss and I thought it was a really mm. brave thing for you to go in like I could see how much it affected you going into the museum yeah. I thought Jesus very like brave to just go in there and start taking photographs. Uh, yeah, um, and then and I think you were like quite upset. I was afterwards. quite upset. I always get quite upset because it's and it, it's just a very like I don't know. I'm gonna get in trouble now. I don't know. Just saying this, but it's a really pretentious feeling because he's really used as a way to make Iceland chic, and that during that time. You know, Iceland is very similar to Ireland. You know, I don't know, it was a very poor country. And, you know, the men were, it was like a law. You either had to, you know, farm the land or, or you know, uh, work the sea. And he was kind of used as a way to see, make Iceland uh, culture and still to this day. And it's just, it's just strange how this guy, you know, he's been dead since, um, you know, 1972. And he still looms over. Mm. And I know... It was more difficult, I think, for my cousins growing up in Iceland because I grew up in New York. Um, but there is, I have a lot of resentment in the way that it's, I do do feel such a disconnection to him, but at the same time, I felt him involved in my, um, in my life since I was a kid. And like this, I don't know, I, I grew up quite, I, I don't know, I, I grew up quite fast as a kid. Um, um, and I even remember saying like something really macabre at like eight years old, like one in kind of inherits pain, and that 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 uh, 
I think is a lot about how Helen feels about Chiarvo. Cause, but mm. I think that the, the strange part of it is that to an everyday Icelander or really any art lo- lover, it's subjective and they can relate to it. And um, I went to the National Gallery for like a show and there was this, um, I don't remember the artist, but basically he was putting himself in the shoes of Chiarval, you know, and he's not related to Chiarval, but he, of course he has a subjective and like kind of real relationship to it. And like, and I just like, you know, I'm just here to kind of, um, you know, enjoy the art. And then I was confronted with this feeling and it brought me out and I just got emotional and strange because it just felt like this stranger kind of claiming ownership of him but at the same time people are just relating to his work and and that's lovely and I'm you know I and I'm thinking about like other photographers or painters I really really admire you know and and have that feelings and maybe their um, relatives I know that the rel uh, the descendants of of Lochness Halter or Lochness I think have a similar feeling that my family do how do you kind of match up to that um, because he's really more of a belongs to um, the nation hmm. um, but that was one kind of difference I perceived between the song and and your experience was that for you we're I think we were both sort of delving into sort of our monumental figures right but for you it seemed like the figure was a kind of a negative force that you needed yeah. to kind of declutter a little bit and make mm-hmm. sense of yeah. for, for, but for me for me it was more of a positive person that that's one kind of one difference that i can i can see between the two artworks that's quite clear mm. like the song was essentially written um after my my nan's wake um and you see she she lived with us in my uh house that i grew up in she was there for about 10 years so I had this uniquely kind of close relationship with her but she was waked in our home house, like an old house. And it's interesting that you picked up on that out in the country. She hadn't been there in ages and I hadn't been there in ages either. So when we, when we sort of brought her back there for the wake, it was this kind of monumental, profound sort of journey, you know? And I was just flooded with all these childhood memories. And when you mix that with the, the intensity of like a, a traditional Irish wake, it was, it was a mad kind of whirlwind. Um, so the song is kind of like an ode to that as well as to her. So that's that's the song in a nutshell. And it came about after that experience, I came home and I just needed to kind of declutter. I wasn't even thinking about art, actually. Um, I just sort of therapeutically was like, I need to just kind of sort of put stuff on the page. You know what I mean? Just kind of. Makes sense out. of things, yeah. Sort it out. That's how I feel about yeah. um, with my work. I really feel like sorting it out and it's therapeutic. Yeah. And and then you kind of like I don't know if you get a rattlesnake bite or something and sucking out the pain or something. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. How I feel totally, about yeah, it. yeah. So it was like this cathartic kind of desire, and then um, the lyrics just flew out like ten minutes. I've never experienced wow. anything like that before. It was mad. Um, Did you feel her with you when you were writing? Or was it more? I suppose I did, yeah, yeah. Like, it was. There was just so many inputs over the the course of the like week, and I was just like, I need to write some lyrics here, like you know what I mean. Um, but uh, it was it was definitely that elusive kind of flow moment, you know what I mean. And I haven't experienced that that much. Um, 
so it was actually mad I was like I can't believe I wrote that like I don't even feel like I was involved in a way you know wow. uh, which is you were a vessel do you feel like you were a vessel it's just like sense? transferring energy or something wow you know but um what was your grandmother like I'm, I'm curious amazing just amazing. a really warm down-to-earth uh, loving person you know um, yeah she was she was amazing and she she was 96 right so wow. like that's the thing about the wake like because of the circumstances of her death she, she was 96 you wouldn't really de- describe her her death generally as kind of like tragic do you know what I mean because of her age and it was in that rural setting where these kind of traditions are still carried on so because of those circumstances it allowed me to to view a traditional kind of Irish wake you know because mm-hmm. the thing about it is it has it's obviously sad and somber and kind of solemn but it's it's also like joyous and kind of celebratory and it mixes sadness with merriment that's the that's the interesting thing about it mm-hmm. um but you, you won't get that with different circumstances, you know. You mightn't get, obviously, as much. People aren't going to be up for having a couple of pints or whatever, or singing, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. Um, Is that what involves in an Irish wake? Is there... There's just, like, there's, there's, there's often drink, um, and there's just a kind of a... It's just very human. It's a, quite a healthy thing. I think it's a great thing. But this is only just my experience of this particular circumstance, you know. And it just, it, I was able to perceive that and observe it. There's a couple of kind of interesting dualities at play in a wake, and that's the, that's, that's the main one, that it's like happy and sad. But another, another thing that I, that I uh, kind of spotted was that like, it's this, you know, this big life moment or whatever, and you're just like talking rubbish to people, you know what I mean? Just talking absolute small talk. And that was, this beautiful contradiction, you know what I mean? It's so human, like, it's kind of fitting in a weird way. What's unsaid be- between the lines, in the sense, like you're talking small talk, but you're, it's a big situation, you're it's not a, really yeah, acknowledging it. Yeah, a big situation. It's like, if you if you view your, view your life as like a line, like this is like a dot on the line, you know what I mean? And you're there mm-hmm. chatting like rubbish that like is just complete yeah. social kind of drivel, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I just think that's really kind of funny or something. Well, it makes the room to it makes a room for sort of extremes of emotion mm. and anything in between like I was um, talking to Sarah Greeley she's a, a singer a Shano singer um, and she sang a keen for me which is like what people used to sing at wakes but it would be somebody who was hired in to do it mm. because this is like really extreme guttural sort of sound and the idea is that it makes everybody it's so devastatingly sad mm. yeah. that it's like people feel they can sort of be free about accessing this extreme sadness. But then there's all this sort of like you know, people are having the crack and drinking and yeah, like there used to be like sort of games and things yeah. like that were sort of orchestrated. So you have this sort of thing of like extreme fun, like extreme sadness, and then it just mm. means you can kind of float anywhere in between that you feel comfortable. And I've definitely seen that at wakes where yeah, you might have somebody who's like small talk one second and then they just like burst into tears and go in the kitchen yeah do you know and it's like it kind of makes room for anything to happen there's not one way of behaving exactly I think it's a good thing 
and also the like the physical aspect of of death like you really confront that mm. and like it's kind of shocking but it's also really comforting and it's yeah. this weird kind of mix like um I know like my my brother's fiance she's from Finland and she, when when she came in she didn't know what was going on and she's like why you know she found it really upsetting because she's not used to it mm-hmm. um and it's like why is all these people just chilling out around this this dead body having to crack you know what I mean yeah. like it's yeah. it's, it's a, quite an interesting yeah. construct construct yeah, like, paper, like yeah. you know I'd like to go out with that you did you ever did we ever at one no I've never been to an Irish wake no mm. I've never really experienced that uh, they're interesting um for sure the contrast of that sounds really interesting but I like the idea of people having you know getting drunk around me I think that would be quite nice yeah I don't know. <laughs> it's funny because that, like, uh, the thing that came to my head was my mm-hmm. aunt's wake up in Venties, up in Donegal. Like, there you go. It was wow. exactly that. It was like people laughing. You know, it was very kind of fun at times. And then someone would say one thing, and you see somebody just burst into tears. Yeah. And it was kind of all fine. Like, yeah. people kind of got it out, you know, yeah. over the court. And like, it was kind of it was exhausting in a way because you're you make like a thousand cups of tea and sandwiches and things, and it kind of went on for. I mean, really, like two days yeah maybe three days the whole process and you're just like constantly people coming in and then you're up to all hours and you kind of get really fatigued as well so you kind of enter just a different headspace totally. that like allows you to sort of mm-hmm. grieve very openly but i remember having to take a break from it and going upstairs and lying down the bed wow and that was the moment that i looked up at the ceiling Ceiling, going, yeah fucking hell i feel when i first met bob and i don't know i'm a big banter and i love knowing origin stories and me i knew i was like you know he's my people because he's uh, he's the only one I could really trust with this project as well because he knows where I'm coming from. But you discussed uh, how important your godmother was and your, your aunt was in your like formation and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I would have spent a lot of time up with her in Donegal. Mm. Um, and I mean, that was also kind of an interesting parallel because I think on the one hand, you had this sort of relationship with Iceland that was a little bit hesitant or you know mm. we, we were talking about this a lot of the mm. time just the feeling of you know kind of being from somewhere but feeling like you're sort of not permitted to be there mm. be to you're not permitted to be from there for whatever reason or you feel like there's a bit of a disconnect and I had at the time started um, going up to a traditional singing circle up in Donegal okay and kind of teasing out this weird relationship of being kind of an outsider because I mostly grew up in Dublin and then sort of trying to have this connection to Donegal and feeling like a bit of a fake or something. But then I remember talking to you in the kitchen in the apartment in Reykjavik. Yeah. And, you know, you were talking about being Iceland, from an Icelandic yeah. family and, talk, speak, and yeah. like, I'd have the same thing, speaking Irish. Yeah. And not being able to speak the language, like, yeah. confidently. And uh, that makes you feel like an outsider. And yeah. I remember, you know, kind of saying, like, you know, sometimes it's easier to give other people advice and going like, yeah. fuck that, like, you're as Icelandic yeah. as you feel like you are, yeah. you know. I remember kind of like yeah. drunkenly lecturing you about oh, it. Oh, no. Can you? <laughs> oh, goodness. He's completely missed on the story. Bob is just like the sweetest person. I think that, I think there's so much correlation between like, uh, like I've always related so much to my Irish friends being Icelandic because I think there's a lot of identity that's probably taken away because you, to be, it was illegal, right, to speak, to speak like Gaelic for a while and it was kind of pushed out for a while and that's like a really troublesome feeling I bet with Mm. trying to work out your identity and 
I, I very much related to that. And there's a lot of pain that gets, you know, passed down in the generations. And then, but it's, it's, it, and speaking to Bob, he's been um, uh, very academically going in and with, you know, he's been doing traditional music and it seems like it's almost like, in a similar way that I was trying to retrace my roots, it's your kind of, and also uh, Bob didn't mention his his ancestor home is in Donegal, so when he's going up back up, it's sort of like how I was experiencing going to places with Carabao. So mm. like, yeah, we're kind of parallel going through that together. These yeah. are these layers I'm talking about now, there's like this, the way I view it is like, I had this desire to document, mm. and I kind of like, kind of bypassed my ego in a way, just like throw it out there and it just it just came out. That's the way it happened, Yeah. Uh, thankfully. Um, and then I feel like you're documenting uh, your experience exactly. and you're tracing, you're tracing y- y- your lineage, your ancestor. And like mm. Caraval himself, he was uh, documenting as well, documenting the landscape. And it's just this, this layer just keeps on going. It's like this kind of closed loop or something. Wow, well put, definitely. And I, I, we were uh, talking about this before because you do a lot of sound recordings and one feels a big influence as an artist to record and, and document. And I think that, yeah, very well put. Did you feel like that? You kind of wanted to stamp time in a way and kind of collect this before it left? I mean, I remember thinking, seeing you take the photographs in the gallery, I was like, geez, there's something really interesting in that confrontation of identity and sort of mm-hmm. taking sort of ownership of identity mm-hmm. and that your friend's mad eh yeah I, mean, I do yeah. remember some screaming in the car park <laughs> <laughs> what was this now <laughs> oh i it was i don't know I, I got kind of emotional towards the end and had a little bit of a run-in with with one of the staff members and the end of the, the t- in the hotel is it no no it was it was the outside it, the museum yeah the museum the first time i brought Bob there and um, I which museum is this now yeah the Carabas studded yeah okay and uh, yeah there was a bit of yeah but the thing is I only trusted Bob with this thing because he's uh, he, he really understands the, the grasp of artists I think more than really any filmmaker and he also um, we were like roommates and taking care of each other and yeah he, he gets there. me man he gets yeah. me man right <laughs> nice you got more of a sense of where I'm coming from I think Cause it, yeah, it was, quite, it was sort of a mixture of being very, very angry and like upset, like in a you know, yeah, like sadness, in an emotional way, yeah, um, in the car park of the museum. Um, yeah, I started and, crying. Yeah, yeah I, I started crying. Yeah, it was very. Uh, I don't know. I think it, it was just like automatic. It wasn't even like it was just like a physical experience of you know being in this building and you know. I think it's just feeling very misunderstood. But also I think that the difficulty of it also, because I grew up in America and I have this American accent and um, uh, and I grew up a, a very kind of controlling, abusive dad and we weren't allowed to speak Icelandic. So it becomes this even layer um, of a lot of different things and a lot of things. That That's I'm, an extra layer, all right? Yeah, it's an mm. extra layer. So it just, it represents a lot of stuff and I think I wouldn't have such difficulty about it if I did speak Icelandic and I could feel more. But I do feel very much of an outsider in that sense. And I'm quite nervous about, like, um, you know, 
what other Icelanders are going to think about it because, you know, in real reality, they probably have more of a claim to him than I do, which is, you know, uh, really painful. And um, I think throughout this whole experience, I've been, I'm just, ever since I was a kid, very, like, ashamed of being um, American. And, you know, I, you know, I grew up during the Bush era, at Bush era and America was really seen as a joke. You know, and mm. and like uh, you know, of course we got a little bit more credit when Obama came about, but then that quickly you know went straight to the jacks. Hey, Irish! <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, yeah. I just put in some Irish speak for you, um, but uh, for the most part, um, I think that I relate to uh, Bob in a lot of ways that we kind of struggle with different identities, with um, with our family and and nationality. And uh, I think it's always been very interesting hearing your journey of, I don't know, when you're getting into traditional music and kind of finding your roots in a way, your own identity to Ireland. I mean, I think I was probably, at the time we went to um, Iceland last November. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah, it sort of was like we were on parallel sort of journeys, but I was mm. a little bit further ahead mm. because I had the... Um, I had somebody helping me to sort of navigate through that in that I was in this traditional singing circle and yeah. Grace, who runs that, sort of took me on as like, you know, she's my ben, you know, mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I had somebody who kind of had, was kind of helping me navigate that and, you know, very encouraging about, you know, she's like, oh yeah, come up to Donegal anytime you want, you know, you're always welcome here. Mm. And I, I think probably seeing that made me think like, I would like to sort of somehow like facilitate or even, you know, just helping take the photographs in the galleries. Like, uh, maybe I can sort of be like a, some sort of like conduit for this to happen yeah. for Vala in Iceland. And even, and then because I was listening to the song at the time then, and even that there's a line about like crossing the threshold mm. and just like seeing what a big deal it was to go into the museum. <laughs> yeah. He's laughing because I'm, I'm starting to cry. It's so sweet. He's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> well, this is this is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, I sure I was crying uh, on the bus coming up here today, watching the final cut. You know, oh. on the back of back of the bus. <laughs> oh, that's oh so my god, it's so funny. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. Getting the shivers. Um, oh. So but, I, wasn't, I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing. Yeah, if anyone knows me... I was me, wondering if I would have to explain exactly, that you were crying. Exactly, yeah. If anyone knows Bob <laughs> just, and I's uh, friendship, uh, yeah, it was... There's the, tears? Yeah, there's um, simpatico. Like, but, uh, yeah. I found that unbelievably profound when I think about the song and the, the kind of... There's a, there's a sort of a weight to the song. And when I think about what the video is, that you've essentially just like facilitated someone to go on a similar journey. And that's the music video. Like, that's... Yeah. unbelievably profound and it's it's a real privilege you know it's just this this kind of closed circle and it, it's just like really interconnected or something you yeah. know when you, like I think about rural Tipperary where the song is set and then you've got the, the eastern fjords and then yeah. you know so you're from Dublin like you know what I mean and then there's the Donegal thing as well mm. so it's like it's just mad it's yeah, just three different geographical totally journeys as well, yeah 
one one part I absolutely adore in a video is when you get when you get on the ice and you you <laughs> spread your weight. I, there's just something about that. Um, I just found it unreal. It's real kind of reckless, kind of abandon or surrendering or surrendering yourself or something. There's just something about that that really gets me or something. I, I don't know. How you, I, I don't know. Like, what was the story with that? Bit? What was the impulse there? Like, I don't know. It was. It was very. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was like quite thin, thin, um, thin ice, and like my instinct told me that um, if I spread the, my weight over, mm. it wouldn't. I wouldn't fall through because it was pretty thin that ice. Um, that and and it was just fun. I don't know. I, I I look a bit like a dying seal a bit, but like it's for the most like it was, it was good. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like through your song, I have felt a lot of, from my interpretation, there was this sort of loss and, and sort of craving for belonging. And it's, I, I don't know, it's fascinating that it was your relationship um, with a, you know, the family member. But it was, I don't know. I mean, do you, was it kind of a feeling of belonging? Can you relate to that? Or, but it was definitely a feeling of loss. There was definitely a feeling of loss and observation but the the song i suppose is like i kind of wanted to just make sense of like how someone can sort of stay with you even if they even if they go you know so that was what that uh, that line um uh, like carrying the flag it's this analogy of just kind of you know you, you sort of keep going and you kind of illuminate people's lives you know you're you still have a presence kind of thing and that was another thing I thought was really interesting. That's like, for me, that's the main kind of nutshell of the tune. And then the video is like, like, so that idea of warmth and then the video is in Iceland where mm. it's not warm. Because and it's very- so cold that the camera broke. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah. Oh, another, I wanted to ask about the, the logistics. Like it must've been really hard. I'd it, say you had- Yeah, it wasn't ro- as hard for Bob. And, uh, I mean, like I, I, I was- toes. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, I was just like, shooting with one camera or I, and occasionally with a 35 millimeter and Bob was like had all this different stuff and like I would like <laughs> I was so worried about him and he was like when we were towards the end of when we went, went all the way to the eastern fjords um when I was rolling around the like was really worried about I don't know it, it, it really like Bob really like uh, really like bent his back out I don't know the logistics of it were pretty crazy yeah I was thinking yeah. that it must have been hard yeah it was yeah. January and like oh. we had so what What was it it was getting like light at like 10 and we kind of yeah we kind of had maybe four hours of daylight yeah, yeah for, we for had shooting. to so we had to try and hit certain locations so all the locations we went to were places that Caraval painted and the idea was to photograph landscapes that he had you know, physically been in. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we knew we had to hit certain marks, but you're also driving at huge distances. Mm. Um, and like, Marie, Adam did an awful lot of the driving. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, driving hours and hours and hours and mm. see no one. And even, you know, when we told people we were going to the East Fjords, they were kind of like, that's crazy. No one mm. goes there. In Jan- you know, getting there in January might not be possible. Mm. Yeah. Um, if the roads are bad or if it gets icy or whatever. Yeah. Um, we did at one point slightly come off the road and get stuck oh, in the snow yeah. and had to be towed out by like a man in a truck yeah he was yeah he was like shout out to man in the truck uh, yeah shout out to the man in the truck <laughs> a, a shout out to to marie the 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 real hero of the trip she uh she was doing all the bits and bobs you need someone yeah exactly she was she was the also this she was the what's the one you have someone stand in for the 
a, a blocker. She was like our, our oh, blocker. Yeah. Someone thought it was taking self-portraits. Yeah. Marie had to stand in to get the distance and focus and everything. Yeah, exactly. Ah, so yeah, she lovely. was. It's probably a whole series of images of Marie in the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that was quite something. Yeah, and then the, the the guy who pulled us out, he was like, I don't know, he 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 was like not like not bothered at all. Like, yeah. yeah, he wasn't bothered at all, and like I don't know, it was very confident as well. Did you try and give him money or something? Or you yeah, tried, I tried, no, you tried to, give to give him a box of donuts. Yeah, I tried to give him Kleiner, which is like Icelandic twisted donuts, which was like no, I don't know, it was like I don't know, it was it was like an open. <laughs> like we already had a few of them. It was very he so just like said. Uh, he said he no. He refused the donuts or whatever it was anyway. Yeah. And he just goes like, maybe just stay on the road. Yeah, <laughs> just stay on the road, yeah. I can, um, I can actually imagine this, this character now you're describing as funny. Yeah, it was, yeah. What it, it was, and it was actually, they have these like big trucks and it's called like man. Oh yeah. And because we were within, so we'd just taken like a slightly wrong turn. Mm. We were within, I'd say, three minutes drive of the, the Cabo Salmon, which is the mm. shack. We're yeah. trying to get to it. And the sun was going down, and like we were just like, ah, oh, we're fucked. Like we're not yeah. gonna. We've driven all this way. We're not gonna get it. Yeah. And then your man came along, pulled us out of the ice, and then we drove down to the hut, and and just like it all kind of happened very quickly because the light was going. But that moment that you talked about on the ice, yeah, it's like that was my favorite moment <laughs> in the whole thing. And I came. I remember coming home, and there's obviously this lovely landscape footage, and you know all these nice moments. That there's like a moonrise that we shot and everything. Um. And all this like beautiful kind of landscape footage, and I'm like, that to me is like the golden shot. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful sequence because it's um, I don't know, it's sort of like some shots are more charged than others, or more sort of alive than others, and you're just like, whatever happened, and like that wasn't prompted or anything. That was yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, it just shows how unhinged about, like, your friend is. Really, <laughs> if anything, just shows Taking how a notion. No, it's electric in terms of the charge. It's like, it's amazing. But it was that sort of that was probably the. In a weird way, like the biggest moment of expression of an emotion, like you know, mm. and then I mean, kind of like the wake thing was like a really extreme. I suppose it was kind of like scope there to behave in a sort of peculiar or extreme way, whereas it would be really boring if we got to the shack and you're like, "Yep, yeah, there's a shack, cool, take a photograph, and then we go." Yeah. There had to be some yeah. sort of like culmination of that, um, and I mean, I remember talking to you in the car afterwards, and yeah. you you mentioned playing around in the ice and I think he said something like I asked you why you did it and you said something like oh I don't know I think I just imagined it might have been something he might have done yeah I imagined something he would have done because he was actually quite I think that's why the, uh, relating to sort of this idea where he's kind of the bourgeoisie and kind of you know oh I have a caravel you know what I mean like a painting but like he was a real character like he was invited to the president's for dinner and he short, showed, showed up with a horse oh yeah yeah as a date and like in a paper suit you know like he was an artist artists are you yeah. know there's there's madness that comes from that and I heard all these stories about him um, and so it's like in the contrast of how he's uh, in this very fancy setting and um, yeah it, it felt a little bit of levity to the to the to the moment and video and it was just like a lot of fun i recommend it maybe not in a large body of water <laughs> though you know just like a shallow that's the thing about it, it there is levity to it like uh sometimes i watch it and i'll i'll, I'll laugh at that point yeah. and other times i watch it and it really pulls you know emotionally Aww. and it's like wow that's that's a that's a great thing to have like you know i think it's it's the, the pinnacle and it's when you reach the 
uh, Carvel's Hammer, is it? Yeah, is it? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, another sort of, I was thinking a lot about water recently, actually, when I was just thinking of um, what I, what I, essentially what I taught in the video and how it correlates to the song. I was thinking a lot about water and, um, and, and, and I don't have exact details about this, but I know that uh, Native Americans, they, they view water as, as sacred and they kind of feel like the, their ancestors are inherent in the, inherent in the water. So, I don't know, I was thinking about this, so like, is the water that's here now, is it the same water that's always been here? Like, is it, is it cyclical, but wow. like, you know, scientifically, like, is it just yeah. the same, yeah. you know, in terms of evaporation, condensation, blah, blah, blah. And it's just a nice, I don't think too much about the science because I'll probably uh, knock my nice romantic thought off course, but I'll stick to the, the romantic thought. But I just thought it was this lovely cyclical thing of like, this ancestral sort of medium that always keeps going mm. and I know in Irish mythology it's viewed as a like a portal to the other world as well so there's mm. there's this kind of there's definitely um there's definitely something there and then when I think about the video and you have w like water frozen like in a fixed state and it's like again documented and very kind of like it's it's like water sort of amplified or something you know what I mean it's just fixed and you can really see it so that was another thing I was I was thinking almost like an ember yeah. or something it's, it's interesting you're talking about water being cyclical or if it's the same mm. um, uh, uh, because a, a, a friend of mine recently was talking about how um, you never step into the same water say if you're like uh, friends with someone a long time and you see them again you're stepping into different waters. It's never going to be the same of that moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not an expert on like Icelandic mythology, but uh, just just in reality, like the sea um, is just a really extreme, intense thing. And I, I'm really jumping topic, but like there. No, I was going to ask you about that actually, about yeah. sort of folk um, beliefs and superstitions in yeah. in Iceland, because I know you said that um, you've taught. Uh, Caraval was sort of messing with you somehow. So yeah, I, kind of wanted to, I, think, I wanted to ask you about that actually. So yeah, no, it's I. Away. I yeah, it's funny. I think that um, in Iceland, for the most part, I feel the weight of my family quite a bit, um, and I'm. I don't know if I'm exactly uh, know much about mythology, and and um, I, I wouldn't call myself an expert and all that. But of course, there's like, you know, the big big rocks and all that are sleeping trolls and the elves live in the, the lava and uh, there's a lot of different mythology and I was really obsessed with Hecla as a kid because I was supposed to be the mouth to hell mm. and, um, and there's a lot of that. Another thing I really liked was the choice of display of the video the way you have like just like the sprocket holes yeah the there's like the main image and then a bit on top and a bit underneath I really like that well, I'll tell you why in a minute. But what what, what was the what was the thinking behind that? Um, I sort of had the thought that it should be shot on film because it would a sort of limit how much we can shoot because like you could just because it's documentary in nature, like you could end up shooting forever, mm. like it end up with hours and hours and hours of footage, and then I have to condense that down into you know like a four minute music video. Yeah. So I thought that would be a good way for me to avoid having too much footage to shoot. Um, so I shot in a Super 8 camera. It's also there's something about 
even the very first time I heard the song before I considered going to Iceland, I sort of thought Super 8 would be the right format for it because mm. it's sort of it's just like an instant bang of nostalgia like you know yeah. even something that was shot exactly. like in January of this year yeah, yeah, I kind yeah. of look at it and go like oh god what a oh, wonderful the good time. old days yeah <laughs> yeah it does feel like that eh? and I actually the first film that I ever made in college I made about um, sort of about my aunt's about, not about her funeral but when she died okay. I made the sort of film and it was shot on 16mm but the opening sequence was shot on 8mm so anything that was sort of memory mm. in the film was shot on 8mm and she used to be, she was the person who got me into filmmaking in the first place because she was okay. the first person I knew who had a camera. Amazing. Um, so I definitely had that idea that I'd, ID would be on film, which I didn't think would be possible, but then we ended up doing it. We brought five rolls, I think, of film. So each roll yeah. you can shoot three minutes on. So we only had 15 minutes of footage to choose from in the end. And it's like... Oh, uh, wow, really? 15 yeah. minutes only? Yeah, so wow. it's, it's kind of met. So I kept all the shots very short, so that's why like, it jumps around so much because you're like, you have your hand on the trigger and you're kind of going like, counting to 10, going like, okay. it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's terrifying. Because you hear it going, like the camera's going as yeah. it's happening. 14 and a half. But yeah. then the, the thing of seeing the sprocket holes when I got the scans back. Is that the like, thing on the left? The kind of yeah, circuit? so that's yeah. the hole that the, the, like the sprocket and the camera goes into that to roll it along okay and something about just seeing that move seemed to work with that the sound that you have of the printer that ah okay okay just a sort of like mechanical yeah. sound of something rolling yeah, yeah. And i was like actually seeing because usually you would cut out the sprocket hole yeah now it's become kind of like a cool like aesthetic thing like you see it in ads all the time where they use the overscan of the okay. film and i've they never include, seen they it. include the sprocket hole and it's kind of become a bit of a, a bit of a trope like but yeah in the context of like with the mechanical sound it kind of works and because Val is a photographer I think it's kind of fine to see the you know you see the film mm. like that it is shot on film and you can to kind of I guess like see the mechanics behind the process mm -hmm. is interesting yeah. and even like seeing shots of you taking the photographs and seeing through the lens mm -hmm. it's like you're already we're not trying to make like a film like a drama where you sort of hide the um, hide artifice the of the whole thing the like, film aspect yeah. yeah so I just thought actually it's great to, to see the whole thing and that's why I really love the way sometimes the you see the bottom of the frame in the top oh, I love that. of the that shot. I loved. Yeah, yeah I love like, that with the moon. You could see that. And the so ice wild. works really well because yeah. we see you lying down on oh, the yeah, ice, you but you're it. above yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like you know. yeah. So you get these in, interesting like extra effects yeah. that you didn't really mm -hmm. count on before shooting. Like when mm -hmm. you're shooting, you're just looking at one frame and then you see these weird moments where you can go, oh, there's something really interesting with the fact that we see her lying down in the top of the frame yeah, above yeah, herself. Yeah. You know? That's what I got off it in a more sort of conceptual way, like uh, you're speaking about the, the, I suppose, the mechanics of it there to an extent, but like I felt that you had like what's happening in the center and then you had like, like there's always something underneath you and something above you and you're kind of going going somewhere and you're coming from somewhere else and it was this kind of lovely kind of analogy for the the whole um connection between the two artworks this kind of tracing you know your yeah. lineage your ancestors this kind of lovely parallel there and then the sprocket hole i don't even know what that is but i was like there's a, a lovely loop on the left hand side of the screen and it's there all the time and it's like a closed circle it's like a circular yeah. it's like everything's connected there's this interconnectivity so that's what I that's what I got off that oh that's interesting you know that's how we picked up on that cyclical is a totally. common theme that we've been talking about even though when we were talking about the cyclical thing 
about the water mm. like I was thinking there about how you know I mean, it kind of is this in the in the video as well but the start of the process is you know we're in this sort of like interior space looking at representations of landscape and then you go back out into the physically into the landscape to take photographs of it yeah to then I guess ultimately have some sort of I mean those photographs will probably be exhibited in an interior space mm. for people to look at so yeah I mean just connection in a strange way from the landscape to this representation on the wall it's sort of it's a, a cool, cool language there kind of yeah, yeah and that's a kind of a similar even feeling. the thing of you know, you're talking about like finding it weird to see his work hanging in a museum space or so gallery formal, space. So formal, so formal. I, I yeah. enjoyed it more at Holt because it felt so warm and the, the you know, the it, the walls weren't as tall and there was color and, and people and it's such a stark and clinical place to see that work. It felt more familiar in a sense, even though it was the first time being there. Mm. Um, but I, I have a curious question. Maybe this is off topic. Did you feel like you were connected at all? Did this feeling of your aunt when we were doing that? Did, was there any like moments where you felt uh, in a similar sense? Because it's interesting that that's it was made you think of that, like the Irish wake that you picked up on that. It was interesting. Um, I suppose there was a certain feeling of so she used to make these films. And, there's very embarrassing footage somewhere of me as an eight-year-old like Aww. running around Link dre- in description. Dressed, dressed up <laughs> like as if I'm like a, yeah. she used to she was she had this thing about making a film about the famine and so okay. she would dress us up in like fam, you know in sort of like potato sacks <laughs> ironically uh, or you know burlap or whatever my um, wife used to play a famine as well so really? it's, it's a done thing <laughs> <laughs> let's play famine weird uh, mm. and so she would video but like just her that with a camcorder like and it was very mm. kind of free and she would she would just make it up as she went along she'd be like oh run over there and you know jump out of here do this um and my sort of work now is very like you know when you have a crew of people involved it's very like and where are we going to put the camera and where will this person be where will this person be where are the lights going mm. and everything sort of has to be pre-planned um not so much it necessarily in my own work but you know working on like if working on a commercial or something it's like everything is planned within an inch of its life and it's yeah. a complete, by the time you do it it's completely dead as in no chaos like even if it's even if it turns out well or even if it's fun or something it's just mm. like every frame of this thing is dead like it's mm. you get no feeling from it whatsoever um, and like just going through that process then it was really nice to go back to doing something where I'm like holding a camera like a you know a toy gun in my hand mm. running around going like oh yeah great oh yeah and you're excited about the shots and you have to also be very selective about the moments you shoot because you're you know you've only got so much film so mm. I think in that way I do remember having the feeling of like oh this is kind of like what Auntie Bradley would do or something like that kind of like treating it as if it's fun or you're not you don't quite know what you're getting mm. out of it as opposed to this sort of formal thing of like storyboarding shots or something you know? yeah yeah um, so yeah there was a kind of it, it yeah it did feel sort of like childish or something it's in a, a nice way yeah. yeah that's amazing um but even like the thing of the landscape and that sort of the formality of seeing the landscape in um you know the museum setting or something mm. and then you go there and it's really extreme and you kind of go like oh he's obviously quite an earthy person which is why I think that you lying on the ice is so strong because there is a connection there because he was obviously 
the exact kind of person who could yeah. go out into that landscape and stay there in a tiny shack for totally long periods of time. Yeah, he was an eccentric, extremely so, eccentric. Which is completely divorced from the idea of being in like this sort of curated mm. space. And then it's just kind of mad to think that people go into that curated space to look at representations of the landscape and kind of go, geez, landscapes are lovely, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, Don't yeah, we yeah. love plants? Kind of weird, <laughs> weird, yeah, weird, yeah, totally. weird contradiction, like, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Very peculiar. It's a crazy juxtaposition, you're right. Uh, I wanted to, to ask you uh, about th- his name, right? Yeah. He, 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 he took it from, there's an Irish connection there. What's this? Th- do, do you know about that? Yeah, I've, been, I've been doing a bit of swatting up on that now. Yeah, it's yeah the, the Irish Icelandic connection. Um, yeah, he he was a an Irish king. Him and his brother, um, uh, who was a violinist, it was uh, Ingmundur, which is my father's name. And uh, yeah, they took it from. Um, Carval's brother. Yeah, yeah, they took yeah uh, uh, took from an Irish king because it's um, uh, typically all Icelanders are named after their. Um, father's first name and if you're if you're a female or if you're male if you're female you get a daughter and if you're male you get a son so if uh, you know if you know when Bob has kids it'll be you know um, Robert daughter or Robert son or, or, or Bob daughter or Bob son I like Bobson. I like Bobson too. Yeah, that yeah. Works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's unusual to have like a, its own little last name. It's, mm. um, but yeah, I just took it from an Irish king, Irish king name. I don't know exactly the mythology behind that, but um, I know I also well in the Icelandic sagas, my my sister's name is Melkorka, and that was an Irish princess that was taken away. You know, that's a kind of more violent Irish and Icelandic history but uh, we, won't, we won't talk about that but the spelling so the Irish spelling is C-A-O-R-B-H-A-I-L yeah Carval. yeah wow. and then so the K-J-A-O-R-V-A-L yeah. is the yeah. Danish spelling isn't it uh, I'm not sure I don't know <laughs> I don't know it's, did you have any experiences hearing that like uh, in I, I mythology read about it at some point and then also there was some weirdly some reference to Carvel, the Irish king, yeah. being, I can't remember the exact details, but some reference to him being an exception to what otherwise were O'Neill kings. Only what? To, he was the except. I can't remember exactly what the circumstances were, but he was an exception to the fact that it had mostly been, were only been O'Neill kings up to a certain point. O'Neill kings, okay. And so the O'Neills were... Um, alone so it would have been from Inishon in Donegal yeah so that was like their territory it was like Inishon and Tyrone hmm. um, which would be like I would be distantly descended from so Ooh, even like on. interesting that's just having so the nuts. connection with Carval hey. and the O'Neill as well that's really crazy and you're it's getting more oh yeah it's kismet it's kismet it is so that it is just keeps odd. on going yeah it keeps on going smart from the same waters we we come from eh? I did a bit of swatting up on that connection um, with Carval oh, and, wow. and, and like looking at the, the Irish uh, king there, there's not much about him but he was basically around in, in the in the middle ages and he was the king of uh, Ossery which is where like kind of Kilkenny and Leash is now somewhere around that you know the place Boris and Ossery ever go there we can I think it's Boris is that Limerick I'm not sure it's a place 
you drive through a lot but uh, Boris and Ossery mm. yeah I remember getting the bus to Limerick and he used to stop in there for sandwiches and yeah. potatoes and that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyway he was the yeah. king of this this place it was a different kind yeah. of geographical space in the uh, middle ages but then his great-grandson commissioned this kind of sounded like kind of propaganda to kind of big him up and then it was completely you know dubious because it's a relation doing it kind of thing but then there were th- that might have circulated uh, over to Iceland with the the Norse scales and then some Icelanders v- view this you know this class king this uh, figure from mythology who's like such a cool king or whatever that he's like the like a socialist king. king in a way no I don't know if they view him that way but just like um, an ancestral kind of mm. figure you know mm. um do you know why he why he decided to to take that name? Um, that's a that's a good question. I mean, like I feel I don't know. I feel like I it's kind of like wives' tale in my head. I feel like it was around like um, World War Two in in Denmark when he took it because he studied um, he studied painting in Denmark, um, and I feel like that's when he took up the name because uh, like, I guess my great 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 grandfather would be um, Svate and it says. Um, mm, yeah, uh, so his name was Jonas Veitsen, mm. um, and uh, yeah, the Kjarval historians, which there are, which is mad, um, uh, would probably know more than I do, so I don't know. That's but, okay. Yeah. But I, it's yeah. an interesting connection nonetheless. Yeah, it is an interesting connection. I think that, like they related to that in the same, and I think maybe he wanted to feel maybe different than than uh, other Icelanders, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, I do know that um, it was him and his brother mm. who both both did that, and I feel like there was something to do with World War Two and, and Nazis. I, I, I'm not sure exactly. Okay. But didn't yeah. Carval appears in the... So Carval, the Irish king, appears yeah. in the sagas. Yeah, I've seen uh, that, that as well. Maybe that's from I it. think he's one of the few Irish yeah. kings who does appear in the sagas. Yeah. Yeah, that might be that might be the case. But it it kind of seems obviously that he's into a bit of a ancestral tracing as well, you know. Yeah, he is, and he was, um, and there's also there was there's quite a bit of like religious themes in his work as well, mm. which I think is you know I grew up, uh, you know, not a religious household, so it's kind of strange to me to think of one of my family members being religious, but there's like quite a bit of. Saints and things are, are a bit of a theme in his work, and angels, and it's kind of it's interesting. But I do think he was influenced by with by those things. Amazing. Yeah. That was the thing I was trying to think of earlier. Was the um, so is it the Codex Reginus? Is the the book kind of like the book of Kells that is kept in a basement somewhere in Reykjavik? Um, this old text, but kind of like the Book of Kells or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. And so in the sagas. Carval is the only king of the outside in the sagas Carval is the only Irish king mentioned who's mm. not an O'Neill okay mm. so your great-grandfather was either going to take on Carval or O'Neill or be an O'Neill mm. Mm. it's strange that is strange I feel like O'Neill I would have just been more accepted in America because everyone in America <laughs> yeah. was like oh my Irish and German that was quite quite the thing but it wouldn't have had a Danish spelling I don't think yeah whereas Carval yeah, Car- would have to because the BH wouldn't have been yeah like, would have been replaced by a B mm. interesting but then also even the thing of um, like that's interesting you were saying 
you research Carvel and he sort of like had the sort of propaganda machine behind him and then you've got this it know, seems head, that way you yeah. know yeah. but like I don't know either he might have been an absolute legend as well like that's, that's fascinating <laughs> you know but it's just yeah it's just cool to see the that kind of lineage thing it's just happening everywhere yeah, so yeah. then you compare that to you know your sort of idea that like Caraval is a sort of like nationalist icon yeah. for Iceland mm. and represents yeah. the country and then the song is also called Flag Bearer mm. and you know like what that yeah. sort of the weight of bearing the flag or being sort of responsible for yeah. an entire country's culture mm. you know mm. yeah yeah. speaking about weight like when, when I wrote the lyrics I kind of felt like um, uh there, it was a kind of a there was a certain weight to it, and I was like, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with the music here, but I really don't want to weigh it down. I want to kind of lift it up somewhat. And then when I was thinking about visuals, it kind of that weight kind of extended to that as well. Like I wasn't sure, like who I should, which artist I should give the this song to, because I, I knew it was kind of weighty, and I did I I didn't want to give someone that would just go and represent it. You know what I mean? Or uh, it wouldn't be able to handle that kind of weight and then you come into my mind you know and enter Bob um, <laughs> and just yeah it, well, I think what you've done you've just really taken it to the next level to, in terms of the, the brief that I that I've set up the product that I've set up like the fact that you've involved another artist again is like it was completely unexpected and just incredible the amount of layers that just you could like the more you look into this the more you're going to keep getting i i said that at the end of the, the first podcast but uh i have a funny feeling i'll be saying it at the end of uh, all of them you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and yeah it's 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 a beautiful it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful artwork it's stunning like you know there was an honor to be given that song i mean i could tell like first listen i was like all right this is you know very personal stuff, like, yeah. oh yeah you just know. throwing it onto you scraping it off my plate onto yours yeah. <laughs> you take that yeah. Yeah. Was the rest of the album with similar tone or like no. does this one stand out to you in a certain, certain this, way this is the the lead track of the album so it's the first song and this was the this was the first song I wrote that the album kind of fl- uh, flowed from Ooh, so okay. What, yeah. what, remember that uh, writing um, experience I was describing at the start when after the after the wake and whatnot I came back and wrote I wrote like five songs in that sitting and Whoa. it just kind of poured out me it was mad wow. uh, but Flag Barrel was the first one of, of that um, group mm, what an honour Bob eh so it's like the the curve of the album the album's like a like a kind of a um, like this inner journey right so my nan is like this monumental figure similar to Carval like you but uh, she she died, and um, she was she was like this kind of uh, gatekeeper to the past, sort of. You know, I was really curious about the the world that she kind of came from. And when she died, I was like, I need to just go in here and just kind of understand this a bit more, and come out with some ideas for the future, considering just to, considering the future we have uh, facing us, particularly our generation, and just to come up with some ideas uh, about how to make things better just to try and learn from your elders a bit so that was that was the initial impulse and then I kind of just bore in on the back of memory and things got really messy got really lost uh, in a good way and ended up emerging then at the end so it's quite a quite a simple sort of curve but 
this this song was the kind of setup moment you know at the start where it's like this thing happened and then you kind of dive down and then I sort of resurface a bit then at the end you know so that's that's kind of the album in the nutshell and, where, and how this fits into the, the scheme of it but um, yeah it it's it's different only to a lot of the other songs for sure she kind of a historian like a she had a lot of stories that you knew of the past and stuff, and through Ireland there was probably, I don't know, are there any stories that you really stand out to you? I just think uh, that kind of simpler way of life where, like, community was stronger, capitalism wasn't so much of a, you know, a prick kind of, that's like, uh, you know, it was so imposing on everyone, you know what I mean? And there was other ideologies which, which um, had kind of value in currency, you know. Even just that idea, idea of like, you know, oh, I'll barter with someone. I'll, I'll give them this skill, and I get this back. You know, that doesn't really happen anymore. And just that kind of um, being in touch with nature, you know. There's, there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of like negative things about that as well. And I think particularly Irish people is this kind of nostalgia for the good old days and. I was kind of playing with that as well, you know what I mean? So it's like an, an explorative, investigative kind of body of work that goes in there and takes all the good bits, decides that some bits are awful and I don't like that at all, and just kind of, just to trash it out and come away with, come away with some ideas, like. And did you find it therapeutic? Yeah, to massively, it? massively, yeah. Massively therapeutic. It's, it's a very therapeutic record. The process was, amazingly therapeutic like that but it was it was very personal very you know it was made in isolation it was just me it didn't involve uh, anyone else well there's 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 a couple of people come in at the end uh, but not not a whole pile you know yeah again there's this kind of language in it between um, I suppose individualism and sort of universality you know what I mean so then when I came the idea for this project was like I'm after writing this album on my own and I want to bring other people's lives into the songs and open them up and uh, just kind of test that idea that, you know, if someone creates something in isolation, I give it, like for example, give it to you guys, you create something in isolation and then you can just see how sort of universal that sort of thing is, you know. Um, it's like introspection can be universal or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's 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 turning out to be a real treat just to see what people are coming up with and the this just the power that art has to communicate things is unbelievable and it's a real privilege just to stand back and like I, I feel particularly with this video there's a lot of standing back, you know. I feel like you stood back and let Vala do do do, do your do your thing and it was just kinda this lovely observational approach, you know. I think that really um resonates with the, the product in general you know did you find it therapeutic <laughs> like to have a finished object I, yeah, I found it therapeutic I mean I think that without the safety of doing it with my friends I think I would feel more alienating mm. um, and I think that um, with Bob and Marie there it, it made it a lot easier because I felt like they really understood where I was coming from so there was a amount, uh, large amount of safety doing that I mean um, because I feel most so you know 
everyone feels kind of misunderstood and all that. But to re, um, to go back to what you're talking about, you're creating something which is so subjective to your experience, and then you put it out objectively. And we both had kind of similar experiences with like nostalgia and longing mm. and times that you know you know you're trying to regain something, but also carrying on a legacy in the same way. You know, you're you're shooting with your same curiosity that your aunt had. Mm. I'm trying to get a better sense of my grandfather, and you're breaking down feelings that you had of your nan. Mm. Like, that's the thing. We all, we all think that it's all, oh, that's just like, you know, this is just a personal thing, but it's... Universal. We're all going going through it, like, separately, yeah. so it's like this... It's, 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 it's a lot more universal, I think. Yeah. Did you know? you, I'm so curious about the other ones. We'll see them in, mm. in due time, but did you feel like that was a similar feeling with the other tracks like yeah well the the first one is out is the junction by katie ball and um that was amazing like uh the things that she picked up on was just nuts like it was crazy it's just like it was like spot on to what yeah you were totally thinking of. yeah wow. yeah it's 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 really fascinating i think we're really hitting on something very interesting yeah sparks are flying and it's just uh, arts kind of intelligence as a language is just un- unreal like you know I think it was really brave that you were kind of hands off and you and and like I, I think just as a concept of you know not knowing and having that separation is just scientifically really interesting and really added to the I don't know because it was just sort of a pure response of the filmmakers as well well you were talking about like having a shot that's charged like I think doing it that way where it's just like here's the first artwork and go and make a reactionary artwork. It just, it makes it charge, like, you know, mm. there's a sort of a, yeah. a subtext there that's like, mm. there's a bit of energy underneath it, like, or something. It's almost like a relay. Mm. Like you're handing a baton to yeah. another artist and they, and it goes on and on. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think we'll leave it there, lads. Yeah. Th- thank, thank you both so much um, for, such an amazing artwork and thanks so much for for talking to me about it so openly and giving me all your lovely thoughts it's a, a real privilege to to come and meet you first of all and to to talk about this it's 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 incredible thanks for giving us your song yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, the you i said sumale this which means same to you in icelandic oh. ah. this. feel the same way nice same to you that was really beautiful thank you for sharing the stories about your nice about one your man. that was really touching and i'm i i don't know how much of the similarities and all that is just really scientifically interesting so yeah. thank you so much for traveling all no. the way to dublin no thank you nice one tack yeah. That's my Icelandic. Yeah. <laughs> tack, tack, tack. Rocking it, Bob. <laughs> nice one, lads. Mm-hmm.